The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. What's up, church? How's it going, church? Are we on? There we go. There we go. Hey, do me a favor. Sounded a little redneck right there, didn't I? Y'all do me a favor. If you would grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. We will study God's Word from Acts chapter... That sounds like home is what that sounds like. Um, So, uh, yeah, Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I have a couple of announcements for you guys uh, as you're doing so. If you need a Bible, by the way, just stick a hand up nice and high. We'll make sure you have one of these so you can track with us and know we're not lying to you. Um, uh, Announcements. First of all, if you want to be baptized on Easter Sunday, we would like to have a conversation with you. We handed out some... uh, some flyers when you come in. If you just put your contact info on that and get that back to us, that would be awesome. We'd appreciate that. Um, second announcement, end of year giving statements. If you haven't gotten one of those, make sure you get a hold of us. We may have a wrong address if you haven't received yours. Um, so please let us know. Um, and then I have one other announcement that's not on there that I'm throwing in. Um, next week, make sure you're here because Patrick Bowler, who's the lead pastor um, of uh, the name of the church escapes me at the moment. That's no big deal. He's the, the Oregon lead for the Acts 29 network. He's going to be down here next week preaching the word to us and is really excited to see you guys. Um, and also on that same note, men. Uh, man camp registrations are now live. You can go on our website or social media and find the link to go register to that. Um, that's coming up. Uh, it's the first weekend, end of April, first part of May. And um, this year, our speaker for man camp is Ray Ortland, who, um, if you're familiar, if you're not familiar with him, this guy is just a giant of a teacher and author. It's a, we got really, really fortunate to have him come and share. In fact, um, those of us that were on kind of the planning for man camp, we kind of have been waiting all along, like just waiting for that email that says, oh, by the way, sorry, I can't make it because this is this guy's conferences and stuff everywhere. It's going to be phenomenal. And his topic, and I know I'm paraphrasing, um, maybe getting slightly wrong, but something is about Christianity is for those who are bad at Christianity. And that's going to be the topic about what the Lord has done for us through the gospel. So you're not going to want to miss that. Make sure you get signed up. Um, With that in mind, we're in Acts chapter 1 today. We're going to be out of, uh, normally we're in the book of Acts. We're doing something a little bit different today. Um, But before we do that, if you guys would just bow your heads with me and let's just ask the Lord's favor on this time. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather together the redeemed people of God, cleansed by your grace, accepted by your grace and your love. And we open your word this morning and we gather together as your church this morning in hopes and with confident expectation that your spirit is going to speak to us today. So Lord, may your word flow, may your spirit move May you awaken affections for you and understanding of your call. And I pray, God, on my behalf, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, guys, it's Celebration Sunday for us today. 
Uh, once a year, we take a week and we hop out of the text that we're normally walking through, which right now is the book of Luke, and uh, just spend a morning kind of looking back on where we've been and looking ahead and thinking about where it is we want to go. And as we do that this morning, I'm going to throw a question out there that's sort of in the background the entire time that we're talking. It's something we as a staff and as a leadership team here at Heritage have been um, chewing on and mulling on for months, literally. And, and the question is, is, what are we here for? Why does Heritage Christian Fellowship exist? What should we be known for? And that's an important question. Reputations are important. Um, reputations are valuable. They're important. They're also really, really fragile. It doesn't take much to uh, ruin a good reputation. And this week, we may have done that a little bit. Um, and let me explain why. Do you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, there was a snafu in Hawaii where an alert went to all these cell phones in Hawaii and literally told people, a nuclear missile is coming, this is not a drill. And then 38 minutes later, they were like, oh yeah, just kidding. You guys remember that story? We did something similar. So um, what we've been doing on Wednesday nights right now is we've been working through a series called Home Improvement. And in this series, we're taking on different elements of just relationships in general, not just marriage, but uh, friendships, all sorts of different things. And this week, Jeremy Neff, our assistant pastor here, Jeremy taught on sex. He even made jokes about, I don't know why I got assigned to talk on sex. And I told him it's plausible deniability. Um, because if he teaches something and people are like, can you believe what he said? I'll be like, eh, it wasn't me, it was him. So he had that topic. So when that happened and that teaching got uploaded to our podcast, the title of it was given sex. No explanation. Just, I mean, that's just the topic. That's what he was talking about this week. Here's the problem. Anyone who subscribes to our podcast um, on their iPhones got an interesting alert this week when that happened. You want to put the graphic up? Sex is now available from Heritage Christian Fellowship. <laughs> That's real. I wish that was a joke. So, um, yeah. So first of all, <laughs> first of all, um, if you thought we might have started a new outreach ministry here at Heritage, please let me assure you that didn't happen. Second of all, if you're here today because you heard about this, um, I would like to apologize for your impending disappointment and tell you that uh, we are very thankful that you're here anyway. Um, I, that's just, you can't make that stuff up. That's real. That's real. Ooh, that being said, reputations are important, right? And the thing we're going to consider today as, as we, as we uh, kind of take on this Celebration Sunday is that idea, like, what are we known for? Who are we? What are we supposed to be? Now, Celebration Sunday, like I said, it's a day we, we look backwards as we consider moving forwards. And nothing could be more Christian than that. Um, that, that's the very heart of what it means to be a gospel-centered church. If you see any of our logos, it'll say heritage, and then underneath it says a gospel-centered church. Um, when you say that, you're by default saying that we look back as we look forward. And the meaning of that, what that means is um, we are considering the work of God. We remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. We remember what he did for us, and that becomes then the motivation, the fuel, the power even for everything that we're doing and considering when we're moving forward. 
Um, That's at the very core of what it means to be a Christian. When God talks to his people, he does the same thing. Even in the Ten Commandments, he comes to the people of Israel and he says, I am the Lord that delivered you from Egypt. And then he goes into what their covenant is going to look like moving forward. And there's benefits even for that. Uh, Even just getting through difficulty, I mean, that's the way you want to pattern your life. Looking back, remembering as you move forward. Um, There's a passage actually in the book of Lamentations. So Jeremiah the prophet is writing. And he's looking out over the city of Jerusalem, and the city is just burning. It's being completely destroyed. And Jeremiah is speaking a lot of things that a lot of people were feeling at the time. It's a real hard read, especially the first half of that book, because there is just a lot of devastation going on. And really, at the core of what he's thinking halfway through the book, they really are believing, man, God has left us. That's what it feels like to them. And so in Lamentations chapter 3, there's things that he says for a long, for example, he says, we have heard the taunts against us. God has drove arrows into my kidney. In Jeremiah, or excuse me, Lamentations 3.16, he says, he has made my teeth to grind on gravel. He has made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. I mean, he's literally watching going, the Lord has left us. We're just in pain. We're being tormented. I feel like I'm just chewing gravel. All peace is gone. And I don't even remember what it's like to be happy. But then he gets to this famous passage that many of us know so well. Verse 20 of Lamentations 3. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to my mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So as Jeremiah is watching all of this devastation, he's considering his future. What is going to happen to us? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? Our peace is gone. Our hope is gone. But he looks back and he's reminding even himself, and the Lord is good. He's good. It may feel like he's gone right now. He may feel like I don't have peace, but his mercies are new every single morning. Even today when I don't feel like it, I know that his mercy is new today. And as he considers that, he's able to strengthen himself in the Lord and understand God is still there. God is still working. God is still doing something. And for many, that's a real good analogy or a real good word for many of you considering 2017 moving into 2018. I don't know if you guys know this, A lot of people didn't like 2017 this year. 2017 was considered to be a really rough year in a lot of different ways. There were some significant events that went down that were really traumatic. You know, Hurricane Harvey was devastating. Hurricane Irma or Irma or Irma or whatever. I'm not, I haven't been out of the South too long. I don't know how to pronounce that, but that one came through. There was the shooting in Vegas. It was heartbreaking. There's been widespread division. There's been more race issues. There's political anger and chaos. It's been terrible. It's been, it, they even make shirts now that I've seen marketed online that you can buy that says, I survived 2017. So for a lot of people, it was like a really rough year. And there can be like, man, I don't know, what are we doing? But here's the reality of it. For the kingdom of God, 2017 was a, a big, big win. They always are. You do know that, right? Like even in, this is Jeremiah's lesson. God's left us. The enemy won. It's all over. 
But even in the very destruction that was going on in Jerusalem at that time, God was fulfilling his word, fulfilling prophecies, and calling people back to him to tell them, look, this is not the end. And even your sin, Israel, even your failures, Israel, even the fact that you, Israel, have completely um, gone back on your word, you have not fulfilled any of the elements of the covenant that you promised to do, you've been completely unfaithful, but even that cannot stop what I declare to do. This is not over. Though that city may burn, my will will come to pass. And God's even taken the difficulty and the hardness, the hardships, all that pain, and he's doing something through all of those things. And that's always the case. At the very least, after 2017, if nothing else was worth celebrating, we are one year closer. We are. We're one year closer to the day when there's no more hurricanes. We're one year closer to the day when there's no more weeping, there's no more mass shootings, there's no more division to the day when Jesus himself returns where the rightful king is in the rightful throne and everything around us, this entire world is put back together. It is the way he intended it all along. Church, we're one year closer and that, if no other reason, that alone gives us reason to worship and be thankful for 2017. Amen, church? It's the truth. But when I say that 2017 was a win for the kingdom of God, that can come off really like idealistically and philosophically, but, but it really was. Let me just tell you guys, despite what you see in the news, despite some of the things that we see in the cultural climate going on out there, there really is a revival going on in churches throughout the United States and even into Europe and other places as well. There's some really good things that are happening, happening in the kingdom of God. There really are. Churches are going through what might be referred to as a very healthy gospel revival. And, and here's what I mean by this. In America especially, 70s, 80s, early 90s, going through there, um, the church went through a really unique season that was kind of unlike anything that's ever happened in the history of Christianity before, um, where Christianity became so popular in mass. And what I mean is mega churches start popping up. We had Christian entertainment popping up, Christian music popping up. And suddenly there was this weird culture that was in a lot of places quite dominant throughout a lot of areas of the United States, especially in Bible Belt areas like where I grew up and things like that. And, and what ended up happening is, is as these churches grew, as megachurches began to pop up, and then books are being written like, oh, here's this megachurch, and here's how they went from 100 people to 25,000 people, and now they meet in an arena. Like, all this is happening, and all these studies are going on. But what can happen is, is as that happens and as organizations grow, business leaders, you know this, as organizations grow, complications come with it, which now take some of your attention, and attention can be, even unintentionally, <laughs> diverted inside, and then what's called mission drift occurs. So in other words, this, the church becomes all about how to grow the church and forgets about what the church is actually there to be doing in the first place. I actually heard it referred to as this in a, a book by Will Mancini, this leadership book. He said this. He said, hey, don't build a shoe factory and then forget to make shoes. And you go, what do you mean by that? Well, look at this factory. We have the best machinery. We have the best employees. We have locations all over the place. We have the best distribution. We've got everything laid out, man. We have the best factory in the world. That's awesome. It's really impressive, really high tech. Um, how are the shoes? 
Don't worry about the shoes. Just check out the factory. Look what we do. Drone deliveries of, of what? Don't focus so much building a factory that you forget that the end goal is always to build shoes. And this actually happened with a lot of churches in American, uh, in, in American Christian culture. Things became really, really inwardly focused. And I've mentioned this before, and I should clarify this. Uh, two different type of churches kind of emerged out of this. One of them is referred to as the attractional model church. Now, if you have a friend that goes to an attractional model church, don't tell them that they go to an attractional model church. Or at least if you do, don't expect them to be blessed by that. Okay? That's, no one takes that as a compliment. It sounds terrible, right? But this is the idea. An attractional model church, it's not that just the services are all circuses and we've got, you know, laser lights and gas or what do you call that stuff? The fog on the stage and all that. That's not necessarily what it means. An attractional model church means everything that church does, the goal is designed to bring people in, to get people to come through the doors. So you make everything about that service. You make everything about the facility. You make everything as perfect as you can in every way. You want the best of everything in every possible way. And it, it, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like you, you should want to do everything with excellency to the glory of God. But the goal of what they do is if we build it, they will come. And so what we need to do is we want all Christians to just be here. And so these mega churches are popping up all over the place and all these different things are going on in Christianity. But what really happened as people started to study some of those trends is people are coming to these churches, but the people coming to the churches are actually Christians coming from other churches. And so people started to look at that. Is that what we're really trying to do? Just attract people from the other church and steal someone from the other congregation? And then we look at our numbers and we're so big, we must be succeeding. Look how huge we are. And so the, the other model began to be emphasized, which is called a missional church, which is so condescending, isn't it? Oh, you're an attractional church? We're in a missional church. It's like, of course it's better, right? Like that comes off so snooty, but that's the reality. And the, and the difference is if the attractional church model is we just need to get people in the door, the missional church model is we need to send people out to the people outside the walls of the church. And so these two things happened. But as that shift began, there really has been an absolute gospel revival in our country because the gospel before was really looked at as just the ticket in. The gospel is what gets you into Christianity. And, and now, now that we're in, it's almost like a They'd never say this. And no, I don't think anyone's heart would be this, but this is the social club thing. This is the thing that we're not, we're now all part of this kind of club. And now what does it look like here? Well, we do Christian stuff and we watch Christian movies and listen to Christian music. And this is just how we live, but there's no real emphasis on mission. Not a lot of engagement with those outside the wall. It's just like, keep bringing people in. But, but now there's been this new revival about an understanding of the gospel. And the gospel is not just Jesus died for my sins so that I have a ticket to heaven. But the gospel is the motivation for everything that we do. It's the foundation that we stand on. It's the, walls of, it's, it's the walls of the house that separate us from the world. It's the roof that protects us when difficulty comes. It's the windows we look through as we see everything else in the world. The gospel is the power unto salvation. It's the reason for living. And if you don't understand that, just think about the New Testament for just a minute. I mean, after the book of Acts, after the Gospels in Acts, the New Testament, these are all letters to churches, right? And we call them the book of, the book of, the book of, but they're letters. That's what epistles mean. And all of these letters are written to churches. These are letters that Paul, John, Peter wrote to 
Christians. And in those letters, what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel over and over and over, reminding them of the gospel. In some cases, like the book of Galatians, Paul's like, I can't believe that you've moved away from the gospel to some other gospel. Not that there is one. And he's constantly reminding them the gospel is what saved us. The gospel is what we stand on. The gospel is our motivation for the future. It's so incredibly important. And so as this revival is actually taking place all over the country, the kingdom of God, man, let me tell you, churches all over the country right now are doing really well because of this new revival uh, of the gospel. We've seen organizations like the Gospel Coalition and Together for the Gospel pop up and have massive influence all over the country. Um, We got connected because I was going to school at Western Seminary with a real gospel-centered approach, not just to scripture, but to life. And and they've had an awesome impact in our church, even helping train pastors and things like that. The Acts 29 network that our church is a part of is a gospel-centered church planning network that is constantly proclaiming the importance of the gospel. Like there's some awesome stuff that's taking place out there with regards to Gospel Alliance. And so with this, man, churches in America in general right now, there's a great revival. There's great things happening in the church in general. Um, But not just idealistically and out there, but even specifically. There's churches everywhere, numbers declining and things like that, but, but there's this robust gospel movement that's blessing many churches, including this one, Heritage. Man, there's some great things that have been happening here. Um, As attendance numbers in some places are declining, ours increase. As financial issues come up, we have been blessed. Can can I report to you first? Can we just get the boring part? At least for some of you, this is the best part. For me, this is absolutely the boring part. Um, But to get out of the way, just some of the numbers to tell you specifically some things that the Lord has been doing. Um, Our 2017 year was maybe the best year that we've ever had financially here as a church. We're projected right now um, to actually have the highest income, I guess you would say, um, that we've ever had in the history of the church. We closed 2000, I'm reading this so I get this right. We closed 2007 with with a giving to income ratio of $775,000 with expenses of $726,000, which is a, obviously a really awesome, as you would call it, profit. Oh, it's not a churchy word, but that's an accountant would say, nope, that's what it is, it's profit. But here's the amazing thing. That's with Heritage having the opportunity because of your generosity to spend an extra $46,000 that we didn't even budget this year on ministry and benevolence to be able to give more away, to be able to minister to more people, to take on opportunities like when Hurricane Harvey came and doing relief effort there. Um, The Lord just blessed us through your generosity to be able to do way more ministry this year than we actually anticipated. And even after all of that, we finished with a net revenue of $50,000, $450,000 in savings, which is our building and opportunities fund to be able to plan towards the future. And with $220,000 in a 90-day cash reserve savings account so that if, if all income ceased, we'd be able to, for 90 days, just continue as if nothing had ever happened. So financially speaking, man, our church is super healthy. And can I just pause right now on behalf of the leadership of Heritage and just tell you guys, thank you so much for your dedication to the work of God, for your generosity. Man, it's a blessing to be able to, there's so many people out there that are going, what are we gonna do? They're facing everything from budget cuts to personnel cuts, and we're able to do almost $50,000 more ministry this last year than we even planned. Man, God is really 
good. And we're really thankful for all of that. Um, we switched this year to a fiscal year. So used to our financial calendar went from January to December. Now it goes from October 1st all the way around to September 30th. And the reason we did that, there's different giving trends like end of year giving in December and things. And so switching to a fiscal year um, helps you project trends and things like that better so that um, those that are doing the financial management of the church can, can keep a, a better thumb on things. Um, so we don't have the full year finished yet. We won't know this fiscal year until the end of September, but right now we are actually projected to finish over a million dollars in income and growth here at Heritage Christian Fellowship this year. And that's, that just blows my mind. I remember like the early days in Jewett Elementary School gym going, I wonder if anybody's going to give anything. And to see how faithful the Lord has been through you guys is an incredible, incredible thing. And by the way, if you're a covenant member here at Heritage Christian Fellowship, you're going to get emailed a much more detailed report with year-by-year trends and all that kind of stuff. It'll be in your e- email inboxes in about a week to a week and a half. Um, so look forward to that coming up pretty soon. But all that being said, then what, what got accomplished? Well, we, we don't even have the time to go through so many of the things that you did through Heritage Christian Fellowship this year. But just some of the highlights... 322 families were supported and fed over the holidays. Almost 200 foster kids were given Christmas gifts this year. We supported orphans' education in Uganda. We continued monthly support of the mission, significant monthly support, I should say, to the mission in Carmen Serdan, where they take care of the 20 orphans down in Mexico. Um, 140 of you partnered with community and churches to provide 201,960 meals or enough to feed 553 children for one entire year through the Feed My Starving Children program. And even if you didn't volunteer, your giving to Heritage supported. We paid for an entire pallet of food that got packed and is being distributed to kids. So you supported in one way or the other if you gave. Um, 74 volunteers joined with Mercy's Gate, DHS, Every Child, and the Pregnancy Center. And by the way, Mercy's Gate, if you don't know, um, this is this really cool organization that has kind of pulled a lot of the area churches together and said, look, we have so many people coming to different churches asking for, hey, can you help pay my rent? I'm, I'm homeless. Can you help me get a room? Things like that. And what they did is pull resources together from all the churches and try to reach out and minister to people before they hit that level of poverty to help them stay. Um, because statistically speaking, once you become homeless, it's infinitely harder to ever rebound. It's much more better if you can kind of cut that off in advance. And so a lot of our benevolence goes through Mercy's Gate. Some of the volunteers here do that. Um, DHS Every Child is, uh, supports foster families here in the valley um, and the pregnancy center here in town. Um, both high school and the flip side of 50 group did missions trips to Carmen Serdan. Um, 46 different families were equipped through the Heritage Milestones program. Kids memorized over 1,500 memory verses and almost 1,000 kids. So 1,000 different children went through Heritage services at Heritage Christian Fellowship this year. That's insane. 1,000 different kids coming through this church. Um, and by the way, that was a 23% increase in children's attention or in children's attendance this year to last year, which I'm wondering if that post had anything to do with that because we seem to be a really fertile church. So Jeremy's not going to be allowed to teach that anymore until we get more children's ministry volunteers. Just so you guys know. 
Um, we've attended pastoral staff training events, conferences, and the staff itself even grew this year by, added a, by adding a much-needed part-time administrative um, assistant. And, and there was just much, much more that the Lord has done. Even in that, I feel like I'm disrespecting some of the leaders of different um, organizations or different, I should say, different elements of ministry because everything from flip side of 50, 50 youth ministry, the um, counseling that we've supported, discipleship that we've done, it's, it's really cool what the Lord's done through Heritage, and that is absolutely worth celebrating. And so all those that are just like, man, the Lord's been good, can you just amen to that? Amen. Absolutely. That being said, <laughs> that being said, um, we, we actually did, we did some hard work this year as a leadership team and as a staff, something I've never done before. Um, I recommend it, but it's painful, especially for, if you will, the lead. Um, this year, we, uh, the, the, the executive board here at Heritage Christian Fellowship were like, hey, let's develop a five-year or three to five-year strategic plan for the church. Just uh, something that we can kind of get together and plan out like, hey, where do we want to go? Like, where are we headed? And if you've been around for Heritage for a while, I don't know if this is recognizable to you or not, but a lot of the ministry we've done as a church has been somewhat haphazardly. And I don't mean reckless, I just mean we just sort of take it as it comes. Is this of the Lord? Should we do this? Awesome. Then let's get involved in that. Is that, uh, I don't know if we have that, but no real plan. Oh, look, there's a whole bunch of high school kids. We should hire a youth pastor. Or, oh, there's this demographic. We should deal with this. But no real like, nope, this is where we're going. This is what we want to look like. This is where we're going. And so we, we started talking about how to write a strategic plan and how to put that together. And one of the things we thought about was, you know what? It, it's, it's good to have a plan on where we're going, but we also should make sure that where we are right now isn't broken first. Because if the foundation's broken, it doesn't matter how nice you build the house, right? It's still not going to last. And so we ended up hiring a guy named Brian Howard. He's um, the director, uh, the, he's the president of the board of directors for all of Acts 29. And he has a company called Context Coaching, in which he comes into not just churches, but businesses as well. And he does leadership coaching. He does systems analysis. And with regard to churches in particular, um, he's very experienced and very qualified to kind of come in as an outsider and just kind of look at what's going on, provide an assessment for where you are, where you've been, where you're going, um, point out strengths and point out weaknesses. And as the lead pastor, that was brutal. If I was rude in June, I apologize. This is why. Because, man, no, no one's more personally invested in heritage than, than I've been praying about this church and had vision for what this church was going to look like before anyone even knew that church was ever going to exist, before we even knew where it was going to plant. And so when someone comes in from the outside and, outside and is like, hey, this is broken, this is broken, this is broken, just imagine someone saying something about your child. Don't you feel that, oh yeah, no it's not, they're awesome, leave them alone. You've seen American Idol, you know how it goes. <laughs> and on top of that, imagine business leaders in here, imagine all your employees all your staff, all your key personnel in every level get opportunity without you in the room to say everything they think about you and your leadership and what they like and don't like about your organization. And then you get to sit with those guys and hear all of it all at one time. It was awesome. Especially for, if you're a people pleaser, this is like what hell will be like forever <laughs> is to sit there in that room, right? It was brutal and so healthy so healthy. 
Everything from people in the leadership and in the staff being able to understand that their voice matters and having some sort of you know, ability to speak into what's going on, to pulling us together, to even recognizing the things that we're good at and being able to celebrate those things. So the way it went, um, Brian sent this, this survey up to everyone and it got distributed to all the staff, all the elders, and some different key volunteers in the church that had some history with us. And so everybody fills these out. There's all these questionnaires and all this stuff. And then it got sent back to Brian. And then Brian came up in June with another pastor who had just as much experience, if not more than him, in church planning and in pastoral leadership and stuff. And they came up and they spent two days here just interviewing everyone one-on-one with all the things that they had talked about in their stuff and, and kind of really just gathering information. They looked at budget. They looked at systems. They looked at staffing. They looked at facility. They looked at everything. Flew down to Southern California, he writes this report, comes back up with this report, I'm telling you, it's like this thick, and presents it to us. And, and the first half of it is like, here are things that are going well. Here are your strengths. And man, it was so encouraging. Let me tell you guys, there were things that they were pointing out about this church that he was literally telling us over and over. He's like, listen, man, this is rare. This never happens. Things like that. Like, for example, he said, in all your staff, all your leadership team, in all of that, there's not a bad seed. Like there's not that person that I go, I don't think they're really aligned. I don't know how supportive they are. I don't know why you hired this dude. I don't, like there was none of that. In fact, he, one of the top strengths he put out, he said, Heritage has an all-star staff and an all-star leadership team. We were really blessed to be able to see that. Um, yeah, amen. It was really, really true. We were really blessed by that. He, he talked about um, theology and teaching and all these different kind of things, but then he got to things that are weaknesses, and that was the fun part. And as he went through those, there was this one word that came up over and over and over and over as we went through this process, and the word was clarity. Clarity on every level. Clarity between job descriptions so that people know what they're responsible for and what they're not. Clarity on everything. And one of the things he said was clarity on mission. Now me as lead pastor, I'm like, what do you mean clarity on mission? We just preach the Bible. It's what we do. What's the matter with you business people? That's why we shouldn't let you in churches. That's not exactly what I thought. It's not what I thought. It's not what it's a joke. It's a joke. But I got my feathers ruffled because I'm thinking, what do you mean clarity on mission? Of course we know. But then we started talking it through and we're realizing like, man, really, what is heritage about? I mean, what is it that we're about? There's a lot of good things that heritage can be about. But like, what's our mission? What's our purpose? What's the thing that if we don't do it, the Rogue Valley is not as blessed because of it? What's the thing that like, if we're, if we're gone, would the valley miss us? And about pulling the team together and saying like, where are we headed? Because there's all sorts of good things that we could be about as a church. The analogy I was using with our leadership here not long ago is, is if you're in San Diego and you're driving to Disneyland, that's an exciting drive, right? We're going to Disneyland. Let's go. But along the way, about the time that you hit the north coast area of San Diego, as you're going up, off to your right is Legoland. Legoland's rad, right? Amen for Legoland? But it ain't Disney. Now you could, you could pull off. You could take your time. You could go ride the roller coaster and see all these Lego creations. You could do all that stuff. You could spend a lot of money in Legoland doing all those kind of things, right? But it's not Disneyland. It's good. It's not best. And what is it that we're actually supposed to be about? What is it that we're supposed to do? And so as we started thinking that stuff through, you can't even have organizational clarity if you don't first have missional clarity because where you're going determines everything from roles on staff to things that we want to make sure we're emphasizing from the pulpit. It's really, really important. 
So as we start chewing on that, we're like, that, that's the question then. Why are we here? Why does Heritage Christian Fellowship exist? And I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you, I remember when, when we were planting Heritage years ago, I wrestled with that because I thought, why on earth do we need another church in Medford? There's so many churches in Medford. Why do we need another one? But when it comes to missional clarity, when it comes to the purpose of the church, there's a lot of things different churches can be about, but the absolute core mission of church is not a mystery. It is not hard to find. If you just simply read the word, it's there. Let me show you what I mean. I asked you guys to turn to Acts chapter 1. In the book of Acts, this is written by Luke, who also wrote Luke, duh, the text that we are going through normally here on Sundays. And so Acts is like volume two of the work that Luke is preparing um, for this man named Theophilus. And as he's writing, he's now kind of picking up the story after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you take a look, Acts chapter one, verse one, it says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now pause for a second. In our text here, it says, after he had given commands, plural, that's actually a little bit of a translational error. It's not that the Bible's wrong, but translators made that word commands in some uh, volumes of Scripture or in some translations of Scripture, but the original word there that they're translating from is singular. It means this, after the day that Jesus had resurrected and before he ascended into heaven, he was teaching his disciples the command. He gave them the command, a command, a singular focus. This is what I want you to understand. And he did it over and over and over. This is what you're to be about. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to be gone soon. This is what you're going to do. The Holy Spirit's coming and this is the command. The text goes on in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus had promised them, I'm going to be ascending into heaven and the Father's going to send his spirit. And when you receive the spirit of God, you're going to do even more than I've done. So you're to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The spirit is coming. In verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now I want to point something out here that I think we have before, but it's been a while. We always, we give the disciples a lot of grief and, and we kind of point out some of their weaknesses and frailties at times and rightfully so at times and encouragingly so at times because sometimes looking at the apostles does make us feel better about ourselves, right? And in this particular text, people tend to do the same thing. They say, man, Jesus has just, he just died for their sins and rose again. They, they're standing in front of the resurrected Christ and look at them. They're still doing their whole, we want to be great. When do we get to be great? When's the kingdom going to come? When are we going to do this? That's not what's actually happening here. This is actually a really good question because they know their Bible. And in the book of Joel, check out, check out this text that's in the book of Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Many of you have heard this verse many times before, right? Well, the context of this verse is about the coming kingdom of God, when God's going to restore the land and put everything back together. And so when Jesus tells them, listen, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Spirit, they're going, promise the Spirit, pour out my Spirit. That's Joel. That's the promise, the kingdom of God. Is that when it's going to happen? We're going to go back to Jerusalem and that's when the kingdom's going to come? It's a good question, but it's not the best question because look what Jesus does with that. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Notice what Jesus does here. This is the idea of what he's talking about in verse 1 where it says, gave the command. They're asking questions. The kingdom of God? Is this going to happen? What's it all going to look like? And he goes, no, 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 guys, laser focus. Come back to what we're talking about. Don't worry about that right now. That's not your primary concern. That's good. That's not your primary concern. Guys, in Jerusalem, the Spirit's going to come and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's this laser focus, and it's a legal term. It means you're going to represent me, and you're going to testify about me. You're going to tell people about what happened. This is the command, church. This is why you're here. This is why the Spirit's coming. This is what's going to happen. You will be empowered to be my witness and carry this testimony to the ends of the earth. In verse 9, when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Understandable, right? I mean, guy just went up and disappeared into thin air. We would stand around too. But then it says, while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Even the angels are like, hey guys, um, he'll be back. Don't worry about that. What are you doing? Go. The Spirit must come. You must go. Go. There's only so much time. Don't worry about how much time, but go. Your calling is to go be witnesses. And guys, when you read the scriptures, if you just read it, if you're looking for it, it's abundantly clear. This is the only this is the primary focus and calling of the church. But Jesus knows we can be hard-headed sometimes and we can miss things sometimes. So he gave it to us over and over and over. For example, look at Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, it says this. And now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Is that not amazing? That's so us, right? It's the risen Christ. He still has the marks. He was just dead. He just rose again, and they're standing right in front of him. And some of them are going, eh, I still don't know about this guy. It's unbelievable. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, in Matthew's account of this text, the Great Commission, um, each, each one of the different accounts has a different emphasis. And the emphasis in this Matthew account especially is the sovereignty of God in this call. Because look what it says. All authority in heaven and on earth. That's a massive statement for Jesus to make. All authority, all of it, in heaven, in earth, any power, any authority, anywhere that exists, anywhere in the universe is mine. Therefore, in other words, and out of that, my call to you is go. Go make disciples. Go take the gospel to people. Teach them what I've commanded you. Teach them to obey. Make disciples of Jesus. Or in other words, a better way of saying this is, or I shouldn't say better way. That sounds like I'm coming up with a better way than scripture. That's bad. Edit that out. Anyway, um, another way of saying that is carry the gospel and teach people to become more and more and more like me. To do what I do. To speak what I speak. Go make disciples of Jesus Christ. Mark 16 has a different one. The, res- the, the emphasis in Mark 16 is the response. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will condemned. I mean, this teaches us right here, this is not something trivial, right? This is a big deal. Lives in eternity hanging in the balance with this mission that Jesus has given us. Luke chapter 24, in their account, the emphasis here is on the content of the gospel. It says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This understanding that this message is one of repentance from sin and to trust in God. And again, the emphasis on in the power of the Spirit, wait for the Spirit to come and then go. And then in John chapter 20, it's the understanding of the ongoing mission of Jesus. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sin of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Emphasizing this idea that this is not a new program. Jesus is saying, you are going to continue the mission that I came to do. You're going to spread good news of the kingdom of God all across the land. And then as we said, we come to the book of Acts where it's priority. It's just the priority of focus. This is what the church is really supposed to be about. And listen, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that, oh, we shouldn't do orphan education anymore. All you orphans in Uganda, sorry, but Jeff read a passage and so no more funding. That's not what that means. We will continue to support orphans. We will continue to do that as a Christian calling. I hope that we can do more and more and more about it. But like, what's our mission? Even as we're ministering to orphans, what's our purpose in that beyond just giving them food? 
And Sam, uh, Pastor Sam and I, we went up to Portland some time ago, and we were at Western Seminary, and Art Azurdia, one of the professors up there, was speaking about mission, and, and he went on into Acts chapter 2 and was talking about the Spirit and how the Spirit of God is given for mission and all this. It was this awesome, awesome workshop. But he asked a question in it that, man, it, it just kind of rocked me to really think about. He, he actually said this. He said, the mission of the church is so clear, but with the clarity of mission given by Jesus, could someone look at your church and recognize this? And I was like, can we just move on? Let's talk about numbers and bank accounts and bottoms and seats. Let's not talk about that. Like, really? I thought about that. Hmm. If someone who didn't understand, didn't know any of that, just came, and they just looked at Heritage Christian Fellowship, looked at the things that we're about, looked at what we're, we're exhausting energies or resources to do, just looked at us. Would they come away from that going, that church exists to spread the gospel to the lost and to make disciples of Jesus Christ? Is that the first thing that they would jump to? Would that even make sense to someone that was looking at our church? Ed Stetzer says the missional thrust of Jesus and his first followers was not to set up shop, but to take the message of the kingdom of God to the lost sheep outside the pen. And with that in mind, let me give you some more numbers to think about. Jackson County right now, their population is 210,975. So let's round up. 211,000 people live in Jackson County right now. Of those, 81,000 people live in Medford alone. And this place is growing. Um, Medford itself is expected to go from 81,000 right now to over 99,000 within the next 10 to 12 years. And I know some of you are like, I know, build the wall. We need a wall around Medford. Like, or at least the border, some of you, right? You all moved here from California. Now you hate Californians. It's hilarious. But anyway, but it's growing. 211,000 people in the Rogue Valley. Out of that, and this is by the way, I'm giving you census stats. So this isn't someone from the outside guessing. This is based on the actual responses of the people, okay? Only 18.9% of that 211,000 people claim to know Christ. Only 189 And then if you really want to get hardcore about it, we know that not everybody who claims actually does. So that means... Out of the 211,000 people in the valley, only 39,860 people are Christian. 39,000 out of 211. Now look, I have for so long convinced myself that that was not the case here. I was convinced. No, man, this place has churches everywhere. Big churches everywhere. Good church. This is not like the rest of Oregon for sure. This is like someone just chopped out part of Bible Belt, Texas, and stuck it between California and Oregon. That's what Medford is. And everyone here goes to church. But then I start thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? The reason I probably thought that was because I probably wasn't ever talking to people who don't go to church. I was just so insulated in my Christian bubble that I was never even rubbing shoulders with anyone who didn't go to church. And you just assume everyone does. Statistically speaking, it is absolutely not true. It means in this valley right now, 171,040 people claim to not follow Jesus or know Christ. 171,000 people. So with those numbers in mind, with the missional clarity that the gospel gives us regarding what the church actually exists to do, 
what metrics should we be using each year to consider whether Heritage has been successful as a church or not? Number of butts and seats, bottom line in bank accounts? Because here's the truth, the painful truth in some ways. Um, like I said, we as a leadership team, we've been wrestling with this for months and we'll continue to. We even just uh, a week ago went up to Lake of the Woods, locked ourselves in a living room and didn't leave for two days, just working through all of this stuff, wrestling through some of these things. But here's the reality. Our baptism numbers are lower than they should be for a church like this. Our community groups, the number of community groups we have for the size of church that we are is very, very low. The number of leaders that we're developing is very low in lots of areas that we're looking at weaknesses. So for example, I mentioned this to you like a week or so ago about our need for setup crew people. We, usually most weeks, it's like two or three people in here doing all the setup that allows us to be able to do church because we've got no shows or teams without people on it or whatever. And when we sit and go through and try to figure out who are some leaders that we've got out there that we can call into these different areas, we realize, man, we're, we don't even have a process or an idea on how we're going to just develop new leaders. We just sort of wait and hope they pop up. Again, that sort of haphazard, like it'll just happen organically. But all of a sudden, we're in a place where we see weaknesses in our church, and we're like, man, we need some leaders to help do some things here. And we're like, oh, we're not making any, or not as many as we should. Um, the vast majority, of, well, here's one, our mission strategy is unclear. Um, as you guys know, I, we talked earlier about Uganda and about Mexico. We do have a missions program, um, but our, our strategy with it is kind of like, I, I don't know, it just sort of is. Yeah, we, we support them. We built them a church. We put some orphans through school, but there's no strategy to it. And then also, the majority of our missional outreach is centered around a few big events like church at the fair or holiday programs. And what I mean by that is this. We would fancy ourselves a missional church. No, we're not an attractional church. That's terrible. No Christian should be. We're missional. Okay? What does it look like from day to day? It's one thing to claim a title. It's another thing to live that identity out, right? So what does it look like? And we start really looking at stuff. It's a few big events here and there and a few community groups that we have. That's another thing that we would normally pride ourselves on. Oh, there's so much community and heritage, but we're way low in community groups, way low in actual missional outreach, and most of it actually occurs through big events that we put together from time to time. I don't think that's what we want. I don't think that's what we're actually called to do. I don't think it's ever what we intended to do when we were setting things out. And this is what's referred to as missional drift. Now, missional drift doesn't happen by someone going, one day we're this church and the next day we go, ah, oh, we don't want to do that anymore, now we want to do this. It happens, business, you guys know this too, right? It happens in thousands of little bitty decisions that happen over and over and over. And especially, it's a thing that if you're blessed with growth, with growth comes complexity. You have to address complexity, but you address in addressing complexity, sometimes you forget to actually keep your eyes on the road to where you're going in the first place. But I believe that by God's grace, he's pointed this out to our church at the right time and for right purposes to just say, hey, who you want to be, Heritage? Why do you exist? What are the things that you're going to celebrate? What is the stuff that you're excited about? What's going to determine whether you're a successful church or not? Okay, so you do services and you have some great teaching and you have some great worship and you have some great people in the congregation, but is that, is that the summation of it? I mean, Brian kind of cut to my heart a little bit when he came and did that report because one of the things that was listed as a strength was teaching. And I'm like, cool, I'm a teacher. Makes me feel good, right? But this is what he said to me. 
Heritage is not simply some teaching station for Christians, but it is a city on a hill full of Christians that are on mission for God. And it do, teaching in the end, if it's just for teaching's sake, doesn't matter. We have been called to go out there and teach them how to follow Jesus as well. And if we don't do that, it doesn't matter what the numbers are in here. It doesn't matter what the financial bottom line. None of that will be an accurate metric for health of a church because you can do all of those things. You can build an arena and fill it with 25,000 Christians and absolutely fail in what God has called you to do as a church. And we really don't want to do that. So what are we looking for for 2018? And what is Heritage to be about? This is Heritage Christian Fellowship. Heritage Christian Fellowship is a gospel-centered community of believers dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's got to be us. And everything else we do flows out of that. Not like we do this and this and this and this and this. No, 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 forget all that. What does Heritage do? We are a gospel-centered community of believers dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so everything we do, if it's not accomplishing that, we don't want to do it anymore. And we want to be able to look at everything that we do and consider everything that we do and go, is it making disciples for Jesus? Is it carrying the gospel to the lost? Is it building up leaders to keep carrying more, uh, bringing more disciples? If it's not doing that, as great as it may be, we don't want to do that anymore. Again, don't misunderstand me. It doesn't mean we stop funding orphan support or any of that. We're going to do all of those things, hopefully even more of those. But our primary mission has to be to carry the gospel to people that don't know Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus Christ, and not just in here, but out there. And it has to be out there because this idea that they're going to come here on their own, it doesn't happen. That's why Jesus said, the Spirit must come and you must go. So what does that mean for 2018? I have no idea. I don't know what we're going to do. Um, we're really wrestling as a leadership team. Like, okay, let's, let's look at this, man. Let's not build a factory and forget to make shoes. Let's make sure we're doing things right. Let's, we've been seeking the Lord and praying and studying and thinking. And I want to encourage you, please join with us in praying for Heritage Christian Fellowship to this end. And I don't mean just, don't just go, Lord, be with Jeff that he makes more disciples. That's, that's a terrible prayer. I, I need that prayer. It's a terribly incomplete prayer. Because some people will hear that and they go, oh, oh, goodness, thank goodness. He's talking about going out and spreading the gospel. That's gift of evangelism, which I don't have, so whew, I'm off the hook. Good luck, guys. Go get them. But you guys know he gives this commandment to everybody way before he goes and teaches about spiritual gifts in general. Everyone is called to make disciples. Everyone is called to be a torchbearer for the gospel. Everyone is called to carry the gospel to the lost outside. So the first thing I'm asking of you is just to pray for yourself. Lord, how do I do this? People go, oh, I want to experience the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was sent so that you can make disciples. Maybe you're not experiencing the Spirit of God because you're not trying to make disciples. Just say, Lord, what would you have for me? that I can go and share the gospel, that I can reach the lost, that I can, now, not motivated out of guilt because Pastor Jeff preached a sermon. Motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, man, look what he did for me. He came and sought me. He didn't wait for me to come to him. 
He came and sought me. He came and lived for me. He reached down for me. He came to save me. And then now, knowing that this is the continuing mission of Jesus, who himself said, even as the Father sent me, so I send you, we go. And we spread the gospel. We make disciples. And so first, we just need prayer. Second thing we know for sure right now, we know Heritage needs more leaders. We just do. We started talking about this as a staff. We're like, we have to change the dynamics of our staff and leadership culture uh, away from a staff that does ministry to a staff that replicates ministers. Because otherwise we will constantly be bottlenecked. We'll never have enough people in, posi in positions to do what we need. So we have to shift even the way that we do staff culture. Um, number three, we know Heritage needs way more community groups, way more. And, and, and here's why. It can't just be that we only do mission through some of these different big events throughout the year because that's not living as disciples of Jesus and doing that stuff. That's just program-driven. That's attractional church model stuff, no matter what we want to actually call it. And we can't do that in a room full of, you know, 400, 500 people. You just, it just doesn't work. And so in gospel community, not only right now is it just the, the best way we can find to, to grow ourselves. By the way, remember the call is also we should be growing as disciples of Jesus too. Amen? Always starts with us, right? But, but also then in those community groups, going and being on mission in a way that's not waiting for the church as a whole to put together big events, but to constantly live in such a way that we're spreading the gospel and meeting the needs of the hurting and the sick and the lost. That happens in community. It doesn't happen in these big rooms like this. Number four, we know that heritage needs greater missional clarity, both in missions abroad and here. I mean, if Jesus is constantly telling them, no, 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 remember what's important, remember what's important, remember what's important. I mean, if I was to ask most of you, what is the mission of Heritage Christian Fellowship? I don't, I, maybe 10 of you would be able to answer that question. And then I might have to check and go, is he right? I don't even remember. Should we should look. But, but not just here, even abroad. I, like I mentioned Uganda. So we've been working with this church in Uganda for uh, nine years now. Um, Oasis of Hope and Pastor John Wabwire, he's in Imbarara, Uganda. But it's been sort of the same thing. Our, our approach to missions over there has been really, uh, take it as it comes. We need a church. Oh, okay, cool, let's build them a building. Hey, we got some orphans. All right, let's take care of them. And, and all that kind of stuff. But where are we going? Like, what's our end goal there? We, we certainly, it's not good for them that we just be a bank account for them. So we're not that. But what is it that we're doing? And so we've really been wrestling with this. So literally Wednesday, me and three other people are flying to Uganda. And we're going to be sitting down with Pastor John in Imbarara and going, hey, where are we going? How are we, how are we going to spread the gospel here? And here's what's rad. And this is, guys, this is the kind of stuff you get to experience when you start stepping out and trying to take these chances for the Lord. As we've been doing this, we're like, man, you know what would be really good for Pastor John? is if he was to go through the assessment process, become part of Acts 29, because then they wouldn't just be depending on only one church here, but he'd be part of a network. He could have support over there. There could be conferences, training, who knows how many things that would benefit him. So we start looking into it, and wouldn't you know, there's an Acts 29 church in Kampala, where he's always in Kampala, capital city there. So we called them, get connected to that pastor. I can't pronounce his name, but everybody calls him B-dubs. Because it's something starts with a B and something with a W, but I'm down with that, B-dubs. So I'm talking with B-dubs about all this stuff. I get connected to the pastor of their church in West Virginia that's the supporting church for that. And we start talking with him, and he's like, man, we are so glad we found you. There turns out there's no real church planning structure for Acts 29 in Uganda. And he's like, we're just looking for people that are burning for, for the, the 
it's called the Pearl of Africa is what they call Uganda. Man, we could use your help. And Heritage now all of a sudden out of nowhere has an opportunity to play a major role in building up the infrastructure of the Acts 29 network in Uganda to send and plant churches all over the country and be able to put together training conferences and resources in a place that has almost none. And I'm looking at that like, oh my gosh, that is exciting. And so I'm going to go over there and sit with him this week. Then we're taking him to Kampala. We're meeting up with B-dubs. We're sitting there for a couple of days. We're doing teaching on leadership. We're doing teaching on training. We're in contact with the Acts 29 headquarters here. And who knows what the end result of all this could be. That's mission. That's clarity. That's, man, let's just forget taking things and let's just go. And then the last thing is this. We need better, clearly defined, gospel-centered wins. And what I mean by that is, like, it's been said before that an organization, you'll, you'll duplicate the things that you celebrate. So you celebrate good behavior. It's even, I think that's even a dog training thing now that I think about it. Like the things you celebrate in the dog or the dog will do over and over and over. That's, that's us, right? That, but that's the idea. Like, man, we need to shift the culture and become a disciple-making, leader-replicating culture that celebrates those things. That, that celebrates the wins of being effective ministers of the gospel outside the walls. So that in the end, if someone was to look at Heritage and you said, what do you know about them? Not much, but I know this. That place is like all about taking the gospel to the lost. They make disciples. I know that. I don't know what all they do. I don't know how they do it. I don't know all that stuff, but it is obvious. They're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. So will you please pray for us and pray for yourself in that end. Which, by the way, it's, it's also what Jesus commanded. I want you to take a look at this verse. Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38 says this. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me point out a couple of things here. First is this, if, if we could personalize it maybe a little bit, it would be Jesus walking through the Rogue Valley and seeing the 171,000 people that don't know him and then tapping the leadership of Heritage Christian Fellowship and tapping the Christians of Heritage Christian Fellowship on the shoulder and saying, guys, look, you see all these people? See how scattered they are? See what they're going through? See the difficulties they have? You see all that stuff? Have compassion on them. I have compassion on them. Have compassion on them. And then what does he tell us to do? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. So I, I'm asking you to, man, earnestly. Don't, oh yeah, Pastor Jeff said this. So Lord, help Heritage make more disciples and now we'll move on to the th thing. But like, man, earnestly. Lord, what will you have us do? What would you have me do? How can we do this? But then here's the good news of it. Look what it says. Look real close. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Here's the beauty of it. Gospel-centered, remember I told you about that? We don't make more disciples, and, and we don't become more effective harvesters by necessarily trying harder. You understand what I mean? Now, there's effort involved. We want to expend our resources, but listen, 
What Jesus is saying is, it's my harvest, I'm the Lord of it, and I'm going to harvest. He's just, he's just including us in the process. It's like a gift. It's like a blessing. Like, listen, do you see all the harvest? The laborers are few. But are you on team Jesus? Because that's my harvest. I'm going to harvest people from this heritage. Are you with me or not? And, oh, man, may it not be said one day that the Lord was going, you know, heritage, like I was so down to use you, but you guys became inwardly focused. You drifted away from mission, and I had to use such and such church over there for some of those people because I will save mine. I will save, but I want you to be a part of it. I want you to grow with me while you're doing it. And that's what we want to see Heritage do. So this year, we are really trying to laser focus, how are we going to do this? How are we not just going to talk about it on a Sunday morning, but how are we going to live this way? And how are we going to be used by God this way? And what does that mean all along the way? Lord, keep us humble, keep us teachable, keep us pliable, and empower us with your spirit to go. Amen, church? So will you guys stand with me to that end, and let's pray. Father, we're here now praying for this because your word commands us to. But Lord, that's a gift because we know if this is what you're calling us to do, then we know you're going to accomplish it. So I beg of you, Lord, will you show us, show us by your spirit where we're to go, how we're to do it, not just as an organization, but for every person here that calls on the name of Jesus. Will you, by your spirit, empower us to push push past um, the boundaries that hedge us in so often, be they fear, discomfort, um, insecurities. And Lord, help us to just be part of what you're doing in this valley. I pray, God, for the 171,000 people walking around this very day, celebrating, cheering, lifting hands in the air as they watch a football game. I pray, God, that many of them would be lifting hands to you in worship next year, Lord. I pray that you would send us to them. May it be said of us as it is in your word, here am I, send me. I pray for greater reliance on you and your power, Lord. It says very clearly that it's the Spirit of God that does this. You told them, don't even try it until the Spirit comes. So, Lord, may your Spirit now fall fresh on the people of Heritage Christian Fellowship for the purpose of making disciples of Jesus Christ and lead us. May you raise up more leaders. May you raise up more laborers. May you create more opportunities for community and more community groups here in the church. May you give us more opportunity and keep us faithful stewards, Lord, that we could be on mission, both ministering to needs, but also carrying your truth to the world around us. And may you harvest many in this valley, but Lord, all of it, may it be so that your name is made famous, not heritage, not our own, but may your name be made much of, may you be glorified, may people follow you. So, Lord, may your spirit come upon us even now and empower us for this very deed, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, well, be praying for us.